Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Andersons. Yes! They're all awaiting a big event. For your information, this is exactly what I ate when I was pregnant with all of you. But Les is excited about an even bigger event. Less than 48 hours away, the people at the Department of Motor Vehicles are going to be handing you your license. His reputation is riding on it. Do you think there's any chance we could get it Saturday night? Not a chance in hell, baby. The date of a lifetime depends on it. Mercedes Lane. But it doesn't look good. You failed. He failed? Honey, what is wrong with you? Ah. Is this the end for Les Anderson? I thought that we had a date tonight. Welcome to Rewatchability. We are a podcast on the Entertainment One Podcast Network. I'm Robert LaRonde. With me, as always, is... J.M. McNabb. And Blaine isn't here today. He's off taking some sort of joyride or something. <laughs> but... His, his wife's in the trunk. <laughs> oh, my God. Call the police. Oh, is we that should a joke? Probably... No, it was a joke. It was okay. A joke. I, ha- I have no information about yeah. okay, the, cool. where, the whereabouts of Blaine's wife. <laughs> I mean, she's not missing. It's, this is not a David Miscavige situation. Okay. Like, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> we have a big movie for you, I think. Um, but before we get into that, first of all, we should thank our Patreons. Those are the people who give us a little bit of money each month. $1, $3, $5. It's gas money, man. And that helps us keep the podcast running smooth. We don't put premium in it or anything. And in return, we give you the podcast early, ad-free, and also sometimes there's a bonus episode thrown in there as well. And... It's especially important this week because we are actually doing a Patreon request. Mm-hmm. We have a request from Michael from Down Under, which I think is Australia. And he wanted us to talk about License to Drive, the 1988, I don't know, teen comedy starring Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. I almost said Corey Hart. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't get your Corys mixed. Up. No, no, no. Your... Can you imagine like a world where I mean Corey Hart, you know, just transitions from music into movies and there's three Corys? Too oh much to God. handle. And also I think you got the billing wrong because Corey Haim is the star. I mean, let's be frank here. Corey That's Feldman true. is is the sidekick. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. This is Corey Haim. Uh, and to a lesser extent, Corey Feldman. And I believe they were both actually up for the main part, but uh, Corey Haim sort of won out, much to Corey Feldman's disappointment. But he got over it. He's in the movie. He's happy for the part he got, I guess. And we are going to talk about it for you. So, Jam, when was the first time that you saw License to Drive? I saw it when I was a kid, I think. I don't have any distinct memories of it. I think I saw it on, uh, we've talked about this on the show before, but the sort of local, or not local, but in Buffalo, the Fox affiliate, Fox 29, which is mm-hmm. what we got here in Toronto, would always have a Sunday afternoon movie. And the Sunday afternoon movie was always like a big movie, but not like the biggest movie. Like they would show the Police Academy sequels, but not like Police Academy 1, right. you know, that kind of thing. Right. So I, I feel like this was one of those movies that, that came around in the rotation on Fox 29 on a Sunday afternoon, probably a rainy Sunday afternoon, and, and I watched it then. But I would have been a little kid because, like, right. 
I mean, this movie came out when I was a kid. I was a little out of the target demographic. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think I saw it years later and just, you know, and now I'm concerned because I just watched this, you know, bereft of context. <laughs> My yeah. young impressionable eyes just absorbed all of the images in this movie. And I'm going to go into some pretty deep counseling <laughs> to really good, get to good. the root of this. What about you, Rob? I don't think that I ever saw this movie if I did, it sort of blends in with the other 80s teen comedies. I remember Corey Feldman from the 80s more than Corey Haim. Um, though yeah. Corey Haim is a is a local boy, or was a local boy. He's passed away. But he's from Toronto yeah. and uh, spent a lot of his right. time growing up here. Yeah, you know, I, I was saying to you off mic, like, I don't think I've seen that many of, like, the two Corey movies. Mm -hmm. I've seen Corey, ha some Corey Haim movies, a lot of Corey Feldman movies, and I've seen The Lost Boys. But other than that and this, I can't even, yeah, what were the other ones? Like, like a National Lampoon movie, stuff like that. Yeah, like, there were a few other comedies. There was one in 1994. Uh do I still have the name up here? Um, Do I still have that tattoo of it? <laughs> Last Resort? Last Resort. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, I never saw that. But, no, I, I didn't have, like, a strong association with both of them either. I mean, Corey Feldman was sort of everywhere. Corey Haim, I feel like, is a lot less sort of instantly recognizable. Like, Corey Feldman, for me, was, like, the 80s kid. He was, like, that ragamuffin from all the 80s movies. Corey Haim, he had a sort of separate career. But from what I understand... They sort of got to know each other from auditioning for the same roles. And basically, Corey Feldman sort of had like a bit of a chip on his shoulder, I guess, because he felt like he was always losing out on roles to Corey Haim. Like he lost out the role in Lucas to Corey Haim. Also, he lost out the lead role in this to Corey Haim. So, but they had like a little bit of a competitive sort of friendship. And also, I guess like they were both like kind of messed up, as I guess we'll talk about a little bit. On this episode, and so yeah, and, I guess they and had... were the victims of a lot of uh, abuse. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And, so yeah. I think that they had like that to bond over. So I think that was like part of their friendship. I feel bad for Corey Feldman in this movie a little bit, knowing that he auditioned for the lead because it's it's almost worse than just not being in the movie. Where it's like, well, you're not the lead guy, but he's got like this creepy friend <laughs> <laughs> who's just just has the worst ideas. Yeah, and he wants you to be yeah. that guy. Well, I mean, Corey Feldman seemed like he was pretty perfect for that part. He was. But also, like, props for him for being, like, the bigger person and being like, yeah, I can still be in this movie with my bud, even though I wasn't given the, the lead role. I mean, that's like a takes a big person to do that. Totally. And we should mention earlier that it was a, a Patreon request, patreon.com slash rewatchability. Yeah. And I think we actually have an audio clip from our patron, Michael. Yes, do we, we do. Please do license to drive. I loved it when I was a kid, but yeah, does it really still hold up now? I don't know if it does. Yeah, I I just finished watching this about 20 minutes ago and my eyes are still bleeding. From, oh god. I don't know what happened. I I, I don't know what this movie is. It's I, it's crazy. I talk me down. I didn't You should need a license to watch it. this movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I guess we should just get into the rundown, man. Let's just I, get into it. I didn't take notes, but I yeah, I we'll we'll talk about what happens. Okay. Go so on, go it on. starts like in some sort of weird nightmare. It's It starts like a nightmare on Elm Street 2. <laughs> <laughs> right, it does. That's it's, right. With it's the a nightmare bus? on a school bus. Damn. When did that come out? Uh, here I'll look it up. But wasn't uh, Corey Feldman in a nightmare, or was that a, a Friday the Thirteenth? I can't. I never oh, keep yeah, them straight. Elm Street. It was eighty-five, so it was a few mm. years before. So maybe they saw that and were like, "Hey, Nightmare on a School Bus. That's a good way to." Yeah, open. yeah. It's really dark, though. I mean, th their legs are chained to the seats, and it's like the Apple nineteen eighty-four commercial almost right. in tone, you know. <laughs> But they're on this school bus, and Corey Haim, he's oppressed and imprisoned by this bus. But finally, he, he breaks free. He just, like, jumps out the window, and he does, like, this action movie role. And there's this beautiful girl in a sports car waiting for him. And it's Heather Graham, and mm. she scoots over, 
and lets him drive because he is the man. And, and this is when I started working on my Corey Haim is in the Black Lodge theory. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But and then he drives away from this bus that's chasing him and there's like this crazy person driving and then there's like this this explosion and he wakes up and he's just sleeping through his driver's egg class yeah that's like dude just take the school bus is it that big a deal school bus is fun you know it's, uh... i never got to take one but it seemed fun oh well i mean school bus drivers are a special class of people you know they are dedicated don't you know they're wonderful they do their jaws but some of them some of them are are, are special oh, okay yeah <laughs> We'll talk about that off off mic. Otto from The Simpsons is just a sketch of the uh, <laughs> Renaissance beauty that is the bus driver. But he he's in this driver's ed class. He isn't paying very much attention, and it's clear that though he wants to get his license because this is the '80s, man, and it's all about like driving and freedom. And they say this in the movie: when you drive, that's your that's your freedom. That this is his life. He is a kid. He doesn't have his driver's license yet. He has a huge crush or some ambiguous sort of love for Heather Graham, who plays a character named Mercedes Lane. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And his friend is Corey Feldman. We're going to get into some of the ways this movie dehumanizes women, but like, literally just, it's a movie about a car, and it's like, yeah, just let's name her after a car and a thing cars drive on (laughs) (laughs) yeah well that's just the beginning so this is my love interest uh toyota driveway (laughs) it's a good name should be my stage name (laughs) (laughs) so he goes to take his driver's test he's taking at the same time as his twin sister he has to do like the written portion it's all on computers and if he gets five wrong then he fails but he, he thinks that he has this covered. And the night before, when they were supposed to be studying for this thing, him and Corey Feldman were just sort of jerking around and uh, tormenting his poor sister. So he seems pretty confident that this is not going to be a problem for him. So he gets the first question. He answers it. He gets it right. But then he gets every question after that wrong. And he fails. And yeah, he, this felt like the 1984 Macintosh commercial. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely really depressing. <laughs> he should have thrown a hammer at the screen, but uh, but then his driving test guy. Well, he fails the test, but he he oh, yeah. hits the the computers, and then they all sort of break down. So even though he's failed, they let him take the driving test because they reckon that because his sister passed and they're twins, then he has to be as capable or competent as her. That's just science. That's science. They've done twin yeah. studies. It's proven. So they let him do his driving test. And, like, yes, his driving instructor. I mean, this is, like, the real bright spot in, in the movie because it's fucking Uncle Phil. James yeah. Avery, motherfucking shredder. And <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is, like, not having any bullshit, like, right away. He's, like, a total badass. And he's, like... I don't have any use for clipboards, and he throws it out the window, and he tells Corey Feldman, that, or sorry, Corey Ham, that the only thing that matters is whether or not he spills his coffee, and he's like holding this like tiny Seven Eleven coffee cup in his <laughs> giant hand, and it's like filled to the brim with coffee. Buckle up, son! It's the real world out here. Uh, Anderson. I want you to take a long, hard look at this cup of coffee. Now, I love my coffee. It's probably the one thing I truly do cherish on this godforsaken mud ball called Earth. Now, what I'm trying to say is that most examiners use a clipboard. <laughs> I don't believe in them. What I do believe in is my cup of coffee. Now, that coffee is hot, filled right to the brim. If it spilled on me, it probably burn me, huh? Speak up, son. Yeah, yeah. Nobody likes to get burned, do they? No. So it's real simple. You burn me, you fail. You don't, you pass. It's as simple as that. And it's just so great to see James Avery because... He is so good. He's so good. I don't want to take too much of a, a deviation from the story, but 
Did you watch the Fresh Prince reunion that aired last year? No, I didn't. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, and they talk a lot about James Avery, and, and it's very touching. And I would recommend to everyone to watch it. And also, you know, Will Smith reunites with, like, the first Aunt Viv. Right. And they have, like, a very, like, honest conversation about, like, what happened to her. And it was, uh, I thought it was kind of amazing. Like, right. Yeah. It, it turned me around on the year 2020. <laughs> I was like, you know, a lot of terrible, tragic stuff happened, but also this. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I. Silver yeah, lining. Just, I couldn't help but think about that a little bit watching James Avery again because he's so good I even watched I watched the Siskel and Ebert review of License to Drive and they were not fans really but they did specifically call out James Avery as a as a uh, a bright spot in the movie I mean he's awesome and I mean sometimes when you watch like a movie that's maybe not so great and you see a familiar face maybe you like big up them a little bit you know being like yeah at least we got to see this person but James Avery plays the part perfectly He's, like, hilarious. He's menacing. It's, like, shades of all the best Uncle Phil moments. And, interestingly enough, the song playing on the radio is a song by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Holy shit. Yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. I bet that guy never in a million years thought, one day I'm going to repeatedly throw the guy who's playing on the radio out the front door of a pretend house. <laughs> yeah. It's so good to see him. Anyway, Corey Haim gets his license. I should say his name is Les Anderson. I don't think Les is a kind of car. I don't like know. the director. It, is there a director named Les Anderson? Yeah, didn't he make Rushmore? and? <laughs> <laughs> Damn you. There's a lot of scenes where people kind of growl at him, Mr. Anderson, and that just reminds me of The Matrix. Right, now. yeah, exactly. Also, because I think James Avery is using a shredder voice, which is kind of similar to the uh, right. Mr. Smith voice. It's menacing. It's very menacing. Oh, man. That movie would have been so much better if it was James Avery as like, the Matrix agent well, guys. Wasn't it really originally supposed to be Will Smith as Neo? That would have been even better. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah. So he, he, he passes the test. I mean – the coffee cup does sort of flip into James Avery's lap while they're pulling into the DMV parking lot, and this like person is running out in front of him, and he slams on the brakes. But the cup is empty, so he passes. Except just as he gets his license and he's about to turn away to walk away from the DMV, they call him back, and they've discovered the computer error, and they discovered that he failed. And so they rip up his license right in front of him. And the D- the DMV lady, like, drops an F-bomb. Yeah, she's like, like, and let me remind you, do not fuck with the California Department of Motor Vehicles. It was intense. Yeah. Yeah. Un- unpleasant. Unpleasant. But uh, I think that tracks for most people's experience of the uh, DMV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it is, it is supposed to be a little surreal, I think, this whole... Yeah. Thing. And, you know, speaking of wonderful character actors, you know, he gets home and uh, and finds his parents there. We haven't talked about his parents who are played by Richard Mazur. Is that mm-hmm. how you say it? I think so. And and the great Carol Kane. Yeah. Like, yeah. what? How did this movie? This movie just, like, hit the character actor jackpot somehow. <laughs> yeah. it's They're great, too. I mean, they're both really wonderful. I was trying to remember what I'd seen Carol Kane from that wasn't, like, Scrooged or... The Adams Family. I mean, she's always so playing like, these, like, you know, character parts or, like, you know, like, very heavily, like, comedic roles. Isn't she in Annie Hall? Yeah, I guess so. I haven't seen that in a while. <laughs> Actually, come to think of it, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's lots of stuff. Uh, but I, th- I think Scrooge came out the same year as this. Yeah, I think that's correct. So, yeah, big year for Carol Kane. Big year for her, yeah. And, yeah, she's... I mean, in the movie, her character is pregnant, too. And she's, like, you know, eight months pregnant. So it seems like she's going to go into labor pretty soon. Mm -hmm. But Corey Haim is too embarrassed to tell anybody that he did not pass his driver's test. So he sort of plays it cool, and they offer to let him take the car out for, you know, his big first day of being a licensed driver. And he's like, ah, you know, I think I'm just going to lie down. And we also forgot to mention 
there was this whole thing where he has a maybe date with Heather Graham because they were at the same right. party and her European boyfriend was being a dick. And so she sort of said that she was going out with him for some reason, which was secretly his fantasy. And then he Wait, we got to talk about the boyfriend for a second because her boyfriend is like an adult and yeah. he's supposed to be like from Kuwait. Yeah, I'm not sure. That? I mean, she's she says he does something that annoys her and then she says something like i don't know what it's like in kuwait where women are supposed to worship men or something it's like wait what first of all this guy is not yeah <laughs> this guy's definitely not from kuwait i don't I and secondly tell... like he's like an adult and thirdly is that what he told you like what i we need to pause and have a whole movie about how this relationship happened because yeah it's confusing and they all end up at this party together and she just kind of randomly she tr- she's trying to weasel out of a date with her boyfriend after they have a fight and she's like I'm I've got a date and he's like with who and she's like uh that guy <laughs> Corey <laughs> which one <laughs> which Corey uh, Corey Hart <laughs> but it's like super it's super obvious that like she does not know this kid yeah and then he storms off and then Corey Ham's like hey can we go on a date for real? And she's like, I, I guess. Yeah. And then, yeah, we didn't talk about this. And then he drives her home in his car and kind of abandons his dad. Cause his dad picks him up from school. So before he has his license, he offers to give her a ride and he- she does not seem into him at all. Like she does not give a shit about this kid. No, I think she's like, yeah, I just need a ride to my friends over there. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Have fun with your friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is maybe a good point to point out that uh, like 90% of this movie, 90% of the problems in this movie could be solved by the invention of the taxi. Oh. (laughs) Like I, I have a theory that this movie actually takes place in an alternate universe where there are no taxis. Right. Because every problem people get into it, had they just called a taxi, like there's even a scene at the end of this movie where all of the characters, including children and a pregnant woman, almost die horribly and take an elderly stranger along with them in a in a situation that could have been completely avoided by simply picking up a telephone and calling for a taxi. So I think the taxis don't exist in this movie. <laughs> I That's think my theory or the bus, which is ironic because Carol Kane was in Taxi. Yeah. She should know. She should know. So I'll just call Danny DeVito. He'll sort it out. <laughs> we don't have to risk our lives. Yeah. So he's supposed to go on this date with Heather Graham, but he, since he doesn't have his license, he just sort of like doesn't, he just sort of forgets about her. Like he forgets about the girl that he's in love with. I mean, he tries to call her at one point, but then that's when the dad sort of, uh, he intervenes and, in a sort of, particularly like cruel way by uh by saying that they're ready they're going to toast him their right, son yeah. for getting yeah. his license he's like oh i can't i can't drink dad i'm going driving later but so, uh, no no son take this bong rip and <laughs> let's really set you up for a disappointment i shouldn't be uh drinking and driving i know that lesson i know that have a drink but you I... just saved me twenty six thousand dollars what first raise your glass to saving me 26,000 buckaroonies. Huh? How did I do that, Dad? Simple. 23,000 for the BMW, 3,000 for the insurance. I don't get it. No? No. Get it? He failed. He failed and he lied. It was almost like that, like Nathan for you bit where he's like on the luxury boat and has like the <laughs> the surfing tray and just and unveils nothing just to fuck with that one guy. Do you remember that? I haven't seen that, but uh okay. Sounds mean. It's also kind of a meme now. Ah. Anyway, it's like that. Like he it's unnecessarily cruel. Yeah. <laughs> but kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. like that's the sort of like dad dad justice you could appreciate, right? Like it's a little bit over the top. 
it's so theatrical and then uh it just sort of like comes all down with like one zinger like yeah you saved me twenty six thousand dollars because i won't have to buy you a car because you failed your driver's test it's good but so he goes to bed early everybody goes to bed early and then why are they in bed so early do they say because he starts his date you know he's gonna sneak out and go on this date with heather graham obviously yeah but to do that he is only able to sneak out and steal the car because his parents are sound asleep. Mm-hmm. But like, what time are they? What when are they start? These are like kids in high school. They're starting their night at like what? Like it's got to be at least eleven o'clock. Like I don't know what time do people go to bed. I go to bed at eleven. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Actually, I try to. I usually go to bed later, and then I just feel terrible. And yeah, then I record a podcast. Yeah, but it's got to be. It's a. It's just a. Seemed like a weird starting point for like a teenage date. I don't know. Yeah, no, it didn't. Uh, it didn't seem to make sense. Like they would have to go to bed at like seven o'clock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because, like, there's one point, like, in this movie where they, like, go to a coffee shop full of teenagers and the place is just, like, hopping. Like, what day of the week is it? Do they say? No. Could be a, could be a school night. We just do not know. Okay. <laughs> but like, it, doesn't, it doesn't all go, like, as, as well as Corey Haim would like because no. – I mean, Oh, and also, sorry, I, Heather Graham also, like, doesn't even care about calling him. She, like, accidentally finds his number while looking through, like – she has like 38 magazines spread out on her floor for some reason and then accidentally comes across his number and just calls him because she's bored Yeah, at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. It's so weird. And also she's like, I'm lonely, which sounds so, I mean, it sounds so horny. <laughs> Who wrote this? Some I, I don't think it will surprise you. It was some dude. It was some dude in the eighties. Yeah, I would be concerned if uh, if a woman wrote this. I'd be very concerned. I mean, I'm concerned that a guy wrote this too. So uh, I'm just concerned. I'm very. I concerned. am generally concerned. <laughs> okay, because they, they they go on their date, and at first it's sort of okay, but she drinks a lot, and she starts getting sort of out of it, and then she like wants to dance on Grandpa's. Cadillac on the hood, and well, how how do they get into this bar that they go to at first? I don't know. What was the plan there? Because he doesn't have a license. He doesn't. Have, he doesn't have a fake ID. Damn, that was the plot hole. This movie is implausible. <laughs> no, yeah, sorry, yeah. She's she dents the hood of his car, and yeah, and um, yeah, and then she like just passes out. And he goes to pick up his friends to, like, also get, like, the dents out of the car. And that's where... Well, also, wait. She passes out, but, like, they go to, like, a make-out point kind of place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things are going well. And then, like, she basically, like, puts her head on his lap to, like, give him a blowjob. I saw this movie on television (laughs) as a child. But then she, like, passes... Yeah, she passes out. It's so weird to me that... In movies, especially like teen boy movies like this, when someone passes out from drinking, no one is ever concerned. No. Like, just pop her in the trunk. I thought, like, I thought that she was going to be like a sidekick for this movie, like, that whatever wacky antics were about to transpire, that, you know, she would be a participant. But she passes out, and sort of the second half of this movie is essentially. Weekend at Bernie's, but with an <laughs> unconscious teenage girl. Yes. Which is, which is not great. It's not great. And, no. And they have, like, they, he goes to Corey Feldman's house, and they're all kind of hanging out trying to fix the, you know, the hood of the car. And her face is just pressed up against the glass. Like, it's disturbing. And, like, at no point does anyone, like, maybe we should go to a hospital. Yeah. Like maybe like maybe we should take her somewhere. Her stomach probably has to get pumped. <laughs> yeah. I mean they should at least like, you know, drop her off at home or something, you know, make sure that she's okay. At the okay. very least. Her parents I I don't know what her parents are doing. She's uh, not to jump ahead too much. She's out the entire night. Like she's gone. I don't see how they're not like calling the police on Corey Haim by the end of this movie. Or at least putting her face on a milk carton. I'm not sure what right. happens first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. 
But, yeah, I mean, basically that's it. Then, yeah, basically he picks up Corey Feldman and his other buddy. I think his name is Charles or something. And they want to go to this. If his name's not Corey, I don't care. <laughs> if his name had been Corey, then we'd know who that actor was. But <laughs> we don't. It's lost to time. Yeah, they want to go to, like, this big, I guess it's just a drive through restaurant, drive-in restaurant. And that's where, like, all the kids are hanging out and all the um, roller skate waitresses have low-cut tops and, uh, you know, Corey Feldman, you know. Was that still a thing in in the uh, 80s? It seems like a scene from American Graffiti. Like, we're... yeah. Are the I kids still going to these restaurants? I don't think so. No, I mean, I guess it's plausible, but it definitely does seem like, yeah. I mean, this scene with the with the drive-in restaurant makes it seem like it was a script from the fifties that sort of just got brought out of the vault. Because, like, he has this like he gets into a fight with these other older people because one of the guys has his tray thing on his door and then opens the tray and bumps it into the other guy's thing. <laughs> but also before that, like they're, they're going to this like coffee shop diner place to meet girls. Yeah. And so Corey Feldman suggests taking Heather Graham, not home, no. not to a doctor, but into the trunk. Yes. And that, is very upsetting. Oh, we haven't even talked about the, but there's a part where Corey Feldman like tries to remove her shirt and like take photos of her in the back of the car. Yeah. And I, and I mean, Corey Haim like tries to stop him, but like, I think it's supposed to be funny. And then, yeah. And then like, and then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, mentally trying to take note of this stuff, thinking that we've we've maxed out like the <laughs> most terrible ways they could treat this character, but then they put her in the trunk, like like it's Goodfellas, yeah. <laughs> so they can meet like other girls at this fucking diner. Well, to, to be fair, crazy. JM, the other girls might be turned off by seeing Heather Graham passed out in the back seat, so. That's what what are you going to do, you know? And I, I get that teen boys are awful. I was <laughs> one. They're monsters. I get that. But, like, the movie doesn't seem terribly critical. It seems like, hey, this is a fun adventure. <laughs> yeah. What a fun adventure we're having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're not, like, the least bit concerned about her or about her, like, safety in the trunk or anything like that. It's the most disturbing part of this movie, hands down, is... Basically, the treatment that Heather Graham's character, Mercedes, gets throughout this entire movie. She's a, she's a prop. That's what she is. Oh, yeah. She's There's entirely even like, a prop. It, when we, in the beginning of the movie, when we see Corey Haim's room, he has like a poster of like a nude woman washing a car or something. Mm -hmm. And he's taped like a Polaroid of Heather Graham's face on top of the poster, mm -hmm. like on top of the body. That's like serial killer shit. <laughs> yeah. It's it's weird. So many of like the '80s movies like relied on this huge trope of like this single girl that the guy had some deep love for or something like that, which is like totally problematic. And it definitely like reinforced all these like terrible ideas to everybody. And no, like she does doesn't really have anything else for her character either. We wonder like maybe there's like if there's like a little bit more with that boyfriend that's going to come out or something like that. You know, that guy never comes back. No, she sees him at the at the bar or cafe or whatever, and he says that. She, oh, that's right, at the beginning. Yeah, somebody's moving in yeah. with him, and then that's that's sort of it. I sort right. of sort of assume that it would like circle around, maybe like at the end chase. He's also driving a car and sort of gets involved in a collision in like a big sort of like hectic mess. I don't know, but I don't know. And then more stuff happens i mean the the car gets damaged more a couple of crazy things happen one for one uh his his sister is at a, a protest because they they keep mentioning that her boyfriend is like a marxist mm -hmm. so he's taking he's taken to her to a protest which again is like a late night protest yeah and i guess it's a protest for like in this town i don't even know what town this is but in this town they're like they have like a parade of like military weaponry at regular intervals, <laughs> I guess like escorting it to a military base. 
and and people that are so opposed to like having this uh, spectacle of militarization are are protesting the the parade of cars so his sister her boyfriend are there and then they accidentally sort of join the parade of military vehicles and despite the fact that it's like a 70s cadillac like all the protesters start like rocking the car like yeah. It's clearly full of children, <laughs> and they're just trying to like tip it over. It's yeah, that's crazy. And then they get pulled over by the cops. Yeah, um, and the cops. I mean, this is where you know it, the ruse is up because first of all, Corey Haim doesn't have a driver's license. So when the officer asks to see his license and registration, whoa, what's he gonna do? He's like, uh, I I think I forgot my license at home, officer. And, uh, you know, that doesn't fly. And then they go and, you know, check his trunk to see if, I don't know, just to see. And uh, guess what? There's a person in there. <laughs> Luckily, she wakes up and is conscious so that he doesn't think that it's a dead person. Yeah. Luckily, she's not dead yet. <laughs> yeah. But then he gets called away. To deal with the protest. And he does. And I don't know if that's just terrible or if it's like, is the movie making a commentary on, on, on the failures of law enforcement to punish like wealthy white suburbanites who are targeting women because they're being drawn away to, you know, some right wing uh, political cause. They're, you know, they're basically <laughs> going to go like beat up hippies instead of like dealing with this uh, very alarming situation. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. No, 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 no. But then, uh, well, they are, I think, getting Heather Graham out of the trunk. Some drunk comes along and steals their car, their grandpa's car. And then he, you know, starts driving it drunkenly down the highway. And this guy is like, he is like, way blotto he, he first of all he like sets up a little mini bar on the dash <laughs> and then he's like cutting limes yeah it's not like i think it's almost like what a child or something would think a drunk driver is like it's not just someone that was like drinking somewhere and then got into a car it's like no this is someone who's sp- who only drinks in cars <laughs> like he he turns his car into a makeshift bar basically yeah it's yeah i I, like i i don't know it's kind of funny but it's it's so insane it's so insane and so they take off in his car and chase after him and then Corey has to do Corey haim he has to do like a transfer from one car to the other like 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 uh jennifer beals does i think in footloose oh yeah you think they stole it from Footloose or Footloose Probably. stole it from there? Oh, I also forgot to mention at one point early in the mo- movie after the uh, after he falls asleep in Drivers, Ed, Corey Haim has to write on the blackboard a la Bart Simpson. Right. I wonder whether like maybe the Simpsons had taken that directly from this. Oh. But then Probably I think it would have been around the same time. Yeah, it would have been around the same time. Yeah. But uh, anyway. But, yeah, he finally gets in there. He manages to, like, stop the car. He has to, like, put the brakes on with his hands because his shoelace gets stuck on the uh, on the door lock. And they manage to get the car back. And also, meanwhile, Carol Kane keeps on, like, waking up at various points in the movie being like, oh, I think this is time. I was like, oh, is this it? Am I going into labor? And it's never quite it. But then it's it, right? And so they're getting ready to do it. And the car... It's not going to be there. We know it's not going to be there. But then Mm -hmm. he gets it back in time and it's there. This is also, I mean, this more than anything is so clearly patterned off of Ferris Bueller. Like, I get there could be two movies about, like, some rich kids stealing a car and, and going on a joyride. But, like, having the parents, like almost catch him and then not so many times like even like they're watching the news report where the tv where the car's in the background uh on the tv and like they you know turn it off and don't see it like that's so similar to like you know ferris's dad being in the same restaurant and yeah and like you know passing him in traffic that kind of thing yeah but uh yeah and then the, the last sort of sequence sort of in the movie is that Corey, less 
has to drive them to the hospital because Carol Kane wants her husband with her for support, right? But, but, for some reason, the car won't drive in drive, and it'll only go in reverse. So he has to drive the car backwards to the hospital, and he still does not have a license. Watch your hands. Oh, Robert, oh, come back seat with me. No, honey, I can't. Yeah. I have to drive. Oh, Les can drive. What? Les who? Not that Les. No, no. No, he stays here. Rudy, you drive. Rudy, get in the car. Dad. Dad? Dad, let me drive. I can do it, Dad. <laughs> oh, Robert, please stay with me. I need you. Dad? Okay, you drive. Try and do it like I have a license. But also, again, call a cab. It's not Mm. hard. Mm. Have you seen Taxi Driver? You do not want to be in a vehicle with those guys. But this just uh, this just felt like I uh, well for one thing I assumed the movie was over. Yes, like I, it felt over. I, it felt like like the like the movie forgot to stop, <laughs> and just and we continued with these characters' lives because also like he dropped. Oh, we didn't talk about this. He drops Heather Graham off the next morning, leaves before you know uh, he can be questioned, <laughs> and. And she's just such – she's just like, oh, I'm sorry I was so sleepy. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. No. Yeah. She's not a real character. But, uh, yeah, and then he drives to the hospital backwards, and uh, everything's okay. And then the last scene is when the grandpa comes back to pick up his Cadillac, and, oh, at the hospital, a girder falls onto it, too. So it's extra destroyed. Yeah. Because it's funny, right? And then the grandpa comes to see the car, and he's like, he actually laughs because he also wrecked the dad's car. Huh? And also, this grandpa, we've never seen in the movie beforehand. No. Right? So we're we're introducing characters 20 seconds till the credit. Like, it's just so weird. Like, just make it the dad's car. Yeah. Like, just have it be, I guess that's maybe too close to Ferris Bueller, but just have it be the dad's car, and we don't have to have this whole grandpa business. Well, the license plate said grandpa. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Dad was taken. (laughs) So. Uh, And then he gets, and then Heather Graham pulls in with a BMW, Mm -hmm. and he makes her, like, move aside. And then. I mean, she she knows she scoots over. She knows her place. Jesus. I mean, yeah. this is 1988, and it's only proper that if a man and a woman are going to the same place in a vehicle, and one of them has a driver's license and one of them doesn't, that the man should drive. It just, it's the way it should be. In- also, she had a BMW. Like, she could have been driving around, you know, 90 minutes earlier. I, yeah. yeah. Take a bus. Take a bus. <laughs> Big transit advocate over here. (laughs) You know, I I would have been with you before the pandemic, but uh, having had to take public transit in the last year, man, I wish that I had a BMW. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's fair. But there's no pandemic in 88, so they have no excuse. And that's License to Drive. Sure was. (laughs) We've got some more for you. We've got the trivia questions for you. And uh, some behind the scenes right after this break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We are talking about license to drive. And Jam, I have a bit of a test for you. Uh, Don't I win automatically because Blaine's not here? Like, I'm not competing against anyone. Mm, you're competing against... Shut up. 
Okay. <laughs> well, you still have to answer the questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Michael A. Nichols, who plays Mercedes' boyfriend, has a very important part in a little movie called Wayne's World 2. Oh, shit. Which part did he play? He, he's not Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Okay. Well, first of all, I mean, he's a wonderful, legendary director, Mike Nichols, <laughs> a graduate. And, yep. Uh, Great actor, uh, too. Catch-22. He disappears uh, into this role. Like, <laughs> really disappears. I am going to guess Jim Morrison? You guessed correctly. All right. Yeah, that's the, the, the ghost of Jim Morrison from Wayne's dream or hallucination. Mm. Yeah. Which, uh, I don't know, maybe he could get worked into those Uber Eats commercials, you know? Like, maybe uh, he tells Wayne in a dream to get uh, something from uh, TGI Fridays. I don't know. Oh, man. Yeah, that Wayne's World Uber thing, like, when it happened at the Super Bowl, it's like, okay, whatever, you know, like, it's it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's whatever. They, you know. Let Mike Myers they, do some, let them make some money. They're, yeah, they've exactly. They've got expenses now that they're getting old and there's medical things. Totally. But I did not realize that, that it would go on this long. No. Like every time that I watch a video on YouTube, I have to see old old Wayne and Garth chilling for Uber. It's. I kind of it, think it that it's like depressing. poisoned Wayne's world for me. I can't believe I'm saying this. Oh, no. Oh, but no. I mean... You know, they were so fun. I Like, I would love to go back and watch Wayne's World 2, but now I'm sure that I'll only, you know, I won't be able to get past it. It'll just be too yeah. obviously commercial. Whenever I get to show it to my kids, they'll be like, the Uber guys? <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay, so next question. So Heather Graham and Richard Mazur and... Another guy who are, is credited uh, in this movie as well, Will Smith, as we talked about. We're all united in what 1993 movie? Wait, Heather Graham. Richard Mazur and Will Smith. Oh, Will Smith. Why Will Smith? Just because... Well, because Will Smith is like the biggest name. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. Uh... And it's like the clue, you know? Six Degrees of Separation? You got it. Okay. I don't remember Heather Graham being in that. Me neither. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. I think I saw it in university, but uh, I don't know. Interesting. Again, I just cool. blown away that Will Smith, uh, Will Smith's song is in this movie, and uh, I guess he wasn't a big thing yet. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay. So, final question. This okay. one's a little bit of Six Degrees of Separation as well, but... Hmm. Which band on this soundtrack, so they have a song in the movie, once included Madonna on drums? Madonna, the the singer. Yeah. A band on the soundtrack? Yeah. Once had Madonna as their drummer. Yeah. Now, she doesn't play on this song. Okay. But it's part of, like, her, you know, her history. I'm trying to think of... What songs are in this movie? And the only one I can think of is is the big track at the end, which is "Get Out of My Dreams" and "Into My Car." Was that that song was out before this movie, right? I believe so. Yeah. So is this movie an adaptation of that song? Because that's basically the plot of the movie. Oh my God, you're right. Somebody owes Billy Ocean some money. <laughs> Get out of my dreams and into my trunk. <laughs> the, the first set of lyrics did not. Do so well on that one, man. I yeah, I don't know. I I, I I'm hard pressed to remember another song from the movie. Yeah, I give up. Okay, so the song is that cover of "Drive My Car" at the beginning. Oh right, okay. And it's co- It's played by a band called The Breakfast Club. Not to be confused with the movie The Breakfast Club. The okay. Breakfast Club was a band that once featured Madonna on drums, and then. Eventually, they they let her sing a little bit, too. And uh, she got a little bit too big for her britches. Or too big for their britches. And became a big yeah. thing. Wow, okay. I had no idea. Yeah. And I was, I was trying to do a little bit of, you know, I tried to look into it a little bit. And I couldn't tell whether or not they became popular 
because of their association with Madonna because they didn't really become right. like a thing. It seems like until like Madonna was already a thing. It was kind of a reverse Pete Best situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a Beatles song that they play. So, um, mm. yeah. There were some other interesting musical things as well. There was one track that said it was written and produced by Steve Harvey. And I was like, Steve Harvey? Whoa. From the Family Feud? <laughs> so I spent about an hour like researching this. <laughs> I don't think it's the same guy. I think there's a Scottish guy named Steve Harvey. But like it 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 could have been possible. There was that like weird era where like comedians had like songs and were like working on music and all that stuff. Yeah. But uh I don't think it was could have been yeah. Steve Harvey could have done an album with Rick James like Eddie Murphy did. You never, you know. never know. You never know. But I mean this movie it wasn't a huge hit, but it did have like a pretty big impact. It started actually as a failed article for National Lampoon magazine. The guy wanted to write oh. like a spoofy, you know, learning to drive sort of thing. Didn't quite get it off the ground, but did turn it into a screenplay. And it was eventually directed by I think his name is Greg Beeman, who would go on to direct Mom and Dad Save the World. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. I I definitely saw that as a kid, probably at a sleepover. Yeah. And then he, he's done a lot of TV since then, but he hasn't done any other feature films. And it's written by Neil Tolkien, who, of course, wrote Lord of the Rings and uh, The Hobbit. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I think it's spelled differently. No, he wrote Richie Rich and Jury <laughs> Duty. <laughs> <laughs> also classics in their own way classics in their own way he had a mcdonald's in his house <laughs> just like gandalf <laughs> yeah and uh so that i mean they eventually they wanted obviously like the big name for teen comedies at the time was john hughes so they did look at getting john hughes to direct and i guess that and they're like let's just get a band named after one of his movies instead that's much more affordable <laughs> yeah but he would have cast anthony michael hall and uh -huh. can you guess the other person in the female lead part molly ringwald molly ringwald yeah <laughs> that could have been interesting and i mean that seems like a pretty obvious choice and it's also easy to compare this movie to like the john hughes movies uh because yeah it obviously rips off uh one of them pretty significantly and some yeah. of the other ones um but it does seem that it doesn't really have like the depth or like it doesn't have like the character of john hughes you know like the character the characters aren't like complicated enough they don't have like any sweetness to them no, and there's something about Ferris Bueller, though. Even though we, you know, we we definitely had some criticisms of of the character, but I mean, John Hughes was savvy enough to, I think, know that he was writing about a privileged character mm -hmm. who could turn a lot of people off, and I think that's part of what the movie's about. It's about how bulletproof this this guy is and how easy he has it. And and we see that, you know, in the constant frustrations of his sister, you know, like mm -hmm. there's no character like that in this where, where we're, and it, 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 you know, even though it's, we, we kind of sympathize with her frustrations that he's, you know, Ferris is just dicking around. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it prompts the school to like organize an entire charity around this uh, fake illness. And, and like, she's completely morally right, but we're still kind of charmed by him and, and root for him. And there's nothing like this. There's no, there's none of that other perspective where it's like, you know, like, I mean, I would have been happy if this movie ended with uh, Corey Haim in jail because <laughs> I, I, I didn't, you know, he, he didn't charm me enough to make me want him to get away with it. And, but, and there was no, yeah, there was no other, my frustrations were with him weren't dramatized in the way they were with Ferris Bueller. Mm -hmm. So like I was purely just annoyed as a viewer at, uh, at what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. He doesn't have like, he doesn't have like the confidence to pull it off. Like his character is sort of always like sort of trembling at the world, which isn't really fun. And also, right. yeah, he doesn't have like, yeah, the charm. He's not like speaking to the camera. Like we're not, we don't feel like safe with him, you know, like Ferris Bueller sort of makes us feel like he's inviting us onto this wild ride, 
just like relax, have a little bit of fun. We'll all get home, you know. And Corey yeah. Haim doesn't have that uh, quality like at all. And there is also like, you know, it also feels like another movie from around the same time, Adventures in Babysitting, which was also about, you know, like rich suburbanites getting in over their heads in the big, scary, diverse city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I know this isn't quite in the city, but in terms of that, like, you know, being in over your head and out in the dangers of the world and it all takes place in one night. Like it, it seems kind of similar, but that, I don't know, that movie I think was better too, in terms of like the escalation of it. This just feels like he did a dumb thing. Yeah. And then did some arguably criminal things. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I don't know. I think there were some genuinely funny parts i think it was kind of funny that (laughs) all the protesters attacked his car and like yeah there there were there were hints at at some good stuff yeah um some some alternate casting apparently ben affleck auditioned for the role of les anderson so could have uh he could have been could have been the beginning of the ben affleck cinematic universe and it could have taken place in boston i don't know uh, yeah, it would have definitely taken place in Boston. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't when Ben Affleck makes movies. He doesn't even call it Boston. He just calls it the town. And assumes <laughs> we'll know what town he's talking about. It's Boston. Yeah, I think even Argo <laughs> took place in Boston. Like, how did they move yeah. the Iranian Revolution <laughs> to Boston? <laughs> now, apparently, the drunk driver scene, uh, as well as the grandpa incident were both added in reshoots, so they weren't originally part of the movie. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Why, how could they add that grandpa scene? It was so unnecessary. I guess they just needed a couple more minutes to fill out the running time, you know? <laughs> it was looking short. Oh, wow. And the drunk driver scene was not in the original movie? No. Wow. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's hard to even, like picture how that would work because it seems like such i mean it seems kind of like the climax of the movie even though there's an additional climax after that but Mm -hmm. but uh well i guess yeah maybe that would maybe would have flowed a bit differently because then the climax would be getting to the hospital and not maybe that's why it felt so weird okay i mean it definitely felt weird it's you know the way that it is it feels like disjointed It, it feels like the hospital part is like an additional thing. You're like, yeah, why are we still with these characters? You know? Yeah. 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 And that's pretty much all the information I could find about the making of this movie. I guess like the only other thing is that, I mean, the thing that was difficult for me watching this movie was knowing about the abuse that took place during this movie. Like, so yeah, I was going to ask you, I don't, I didn't watch that documentary i i don't know all about it but was this one of the projects that was specifically called out by uh cory feldman yeah it was oh geez specifically the guy who cory feldman says abused him is in this movie he has a cameo he plays like the the valet okay yeah which is like it's very ghoulish to to know that and like watch this movie. I'm, I don't know. Like for me personally, it was hard to sort of separate it from like the tragedy of like Corey Haim because yeah, like I didn't see this movie when I was a kid. I, I almost like, yeah, I know more about like Corey Haim as like a tragic figure than I remember him as a movie star. And, you know, before I watched this movie, I did go into like a little bit of like a deep dive into his, like into his life. And it, it was sad. It was, like, really sad to read. He comes from Toronto. He wanted to be an actor. He did his thing, and he was abused and had a whole bunch of substance abuse problems and died really young after, like, struggling for a very long time. It's, like, it's terribly, terribly tragic. And it's weird to watch this, like, what is, like, a really frivolous... I mean, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be, like... Yeah, it's supposed to be fun, but... It's just hard because, I mean, the the story of, like, Corey Heyman, Corey Feldman is a really sad story. And, uh, yeah, I, I find it really hard to, like, 
I found it really hard to even like start watching this movie because of that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, uh, yeah, I, I had the same thought. I didn't look into it beforehand because yeah, I just find it, that probably would have made me not want to watch the movie at all. Yeah. Um, and, and we don't really agree you. to do it, <laughs> but yeah. And you know, talking about like my problems with the Corey Haim character, like, I don't think it's his performance. Like, I think he actually does. When I talk about like being charming and stuff, I think that's more like the character and how it's written. Yeah. I actually think like he's pretty good. He's good. Here. Like he has, he has a good uh, presence as does Corey Feldman. Like I, I always find Corey Feldman watching. He's great. Watchable. But they just don't have the writing to to back it up, and yeah, in terms of in terms of the movie as as being like a byproduct of this industry that uh, you know tormented and abused children for so long, like yeah, it's it's hard to uh, to even sort of adjudicate it as a piece of work separate from that. But I think even when we do, it's like even separate from like the horrors that were going on behind the scenes to these actors that were being propped up by, uh, by studios, like even, uh, even separate from that, like yeah. the, these are movies that taught young boys to treat women like garbage. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, we've kind of laughed at how like ridiculously awful that was, but like, honestly, and I was kind of joking about it before, but honestly, I'm kind of horrified that I watched this as a kid. Like I, yeah, it's, 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 there's bad stuff in this movie and the, the, and it's full of bad lessons that have nothing to do with, uh, driving or, <laughs> yeah. or, or Grand Theft Auto, which, uh, which I support. The, the video game? Of, because, yeah, I support the video game. Okay. Not the, no, I, I, yeah, I, I just, I think that, you know, this was an era where that type of humor was more acceptable. I mean, we've talked about lot about other movies that similarly you know discard female characters or 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 kind of use the excuse of of following immature teen boys as as a way to kind of revel in this uh right this attitude of of kind of callous misogyny but it's just so blatant here and so awful and uh, yeah, and just, you know, trying to throw myself back in the headspace of, like, being a kid at this time. Like, you want to – you look up to guys like uh, Corey Ham and Corey Feldman. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of boys did. So, yeah, to have to have a movie that was sold to the American public as a fun driving movie. <laughs> like, look at this car. And then just to have, have them driving around with, a, with an unconscious underage – drunk girl in the trunk is just uh unconscionable i yeah it it bums me out i and you know there are like parts of the movie that i think are you know could have been fun like i said i love that kind of movie where it's all one night and things go wrong like after hours is one of my favorite movies uh and Man, this uh, this movie is just not fun no. <laughs> for the behind-the-scenes reasons and for the stuff that happens in the movie itself. But, I'm, you know, I'm glad we did it. I'm glad yeah. that Michael asked us to do it, and I hope we haven't ruined it for him. <laughs> no. But, I, you know, I think there is tremendous value in going back and seeing media that we digested as kids and and kind of unraveling why it might have been harmful yeah for sure yeah and michael has heard enough of our podcast to know this is what we do you know (laughs) he seems to at least in his uh in his voice message he seems to know that uh there's some sketchy things going on with this uh with this movie i don't think we're uh you know completely disillusioning him right and he's in australia yeah well, they're yeah, they're just you know they're living their lives. Right? Oh man, like they're going to see movies are, in theaters. They've got it together. Yeah, they don't they don't need license to drive. It's it's fine. No, no, yeah, no, yeah. They probably have concerts. Do they have concerts there right now? Probably. He's probably at a Kylie Minogue concert right now. She's Australian, <laughs> right? <laughs> or crowded yeah. house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Muttonburg. Breakfast Club, where are they from? Uh, New York, I think. So you not a, not a big fan of License to Drive Jam? No. No, sorry. <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I feel the same way. I Like you, I mean, there were parts that I like. I actually did like the performance of Corey Haim. I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was good. I mean, I think the character is a little bit weak. And yeah, like they don't really give him much to work with. Like he doesn't like learn a lesson. Or anything like that. No, that's the thing. Like, you think it's going to be, like, lead up to some kind of consequence. But it really doesn't at all. Like, he, yeah. He drives off in a BMW with Heather Graham yeah. at the end. If, if anything, this movie taught us that driving without a license is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, and, dangerous. and you know it it is like a, a watchable movie in the sense that like I think the actors are good and the supporting cast is like like we said it's inexplicably good. Yeah, well, actually, like, like watching Carol Kane and Richard Mazur was like one of the highlights for sure. Like they're fun, yeah. Even though they're like like not even really part of the same movie, but just seeing them like put right. around in their house, being like, "Oh, I think it's baby time," and he's like, "Okay," blah, blah, blah. and then she's like, "Ah, it's not now. I just want a sandwich." That's funny. It could, yeah. It's almost like there's an entirely different, like baby themed '80s movie, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> playing it in the background, like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and like we said, James Avery is just oh, like so it's good. almost worth watching just to see him. Yeah, um, when he comes back up. at the end for like just one second, it feels so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's like crazy that James Avery. I mean, as good as he is, is like you know one of the like very bright spots in this movie. Just that one scene was like one of the like, you know, I smiled, I felt good, but then after that, it all went to hell again. Yeah. What can you expect? Um, he can't save the whole movie from from the passenger seat, you know. Mm. Well, that's rewatchability for this week. Uh, join us next week. We'll have another movie for you. And in the meantime, you can go find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. We're at rewatchability wherever. There's places that have at signs and then your name. That's what we are. <laughs> you can go to uh, Apple Podcasts and subscribe and rate us and review us. That's a great way to help other people find the podcast. You can become a Patreon. And if you'd like to become a Patreon and request a movie, we might even just do it on the podcast. If you would like to request a movie and you're not a Patreon, you can also do that. We have an email address, rewatchability at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, rewatchability.com, and leave us a message on the speak pipe like Michael did, and you might even hear yourself on the podcast. Oh. Yeah. So that's it, you know? And we'll be hanging around the DMV. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.